1: You know, they say that life throws at you only what you can handle. Well, if that's true, my Everyone Talks to Liz podcast guest today, he's got to have like 20 arms and 40 hands. He's been thrown a lot. Now, first of all, if you're a football fan, you know John Dorenbos. He is a pro bowler, NFL star who played for, you ready, the Buffalo Bills, the Tennessee Titans, the Philadelphia Eagles, the New Orleans Saints. If you watch America's Got Talent, I know you know him, right? The magic tricks and slate of hand that he performed were so amazing that he made it all the way to this year's The Champion Special. And one last thing, I promise you, if you watch The Ellen Show, you know him because he regularly performs those magic tricks, unbelievable tricks that are mind-bending to adoring crowds. But you guys know what this podcast is about, right? Reaching those pinnacles of success heights only a tiny percentage of the world ever attain took effectively being orphaned at age 12 after a most horrific crime committed by his own father, and then later in life facing a career-ending health scare that almost killed him. I stress almost. He's here today. Please welcome John Dornboss. He's the author of the new book, Life is Magic. And what a book, John. Thanks for being here. Oh, this is
0: Rockstar. Thank you.
1: Uh, I'm still dying to know, by the way, what you did. Uh, you know, the trick where you guessed all four judges had written something randomly on secretly drawn pieces of paper, and you guessed that, but... Are you going to reveal that to me right here and right uh, now?
0: <laughs> yeah, come on. That's the magic. That's the magic. That's the fun.
1: That, to me, is mind-bending. Amazing Thank you. stuff. Uh, you know what's more mind-bending, though, is your story. One of the most stunning, painful, and yet uplifting stories I have ever heard. I want to take us back, our listeners back, to the 12-year-old you. You're living just outside Seattle with your parents and your older brother, Randy, your sister Chrissy. Describe your 12-year-old life and your world there.
0: It was so much different than it is today because back then we didn't have the exposure of the internet when an instant gratification and knowledge with cell phones. So you were just a kid, you went outside, you played, I built a fort, you rode bikes. And back then you could leave in the morning, go on a bike ride throughout the forest in Woodenville, and come back nine, 10 hours later. And, and nobody was really worried about you, right? It was just a different yeah. time, you know, but then you're also exposed to a lot less because you're just a kid. So there was a, you know, for me, you know, when I think back to when I was 12 and a kid, I love the innocence of it, and I love that it was just playing wiffle ball outside, and, uh, you know, kids played outside, and you don't see that today.
1: But did you play football? I mean, that's young, 12,
0: but... yeah. So so never, like, formally and organized, okay. but we always played in the backyard. Yeah, throw you throw know? the ball. Oh, the Witzels across the street, they had a huge, like, backyard, so we'd, you know, wiffle ball, home run derby, football, fl- you know, tackle football. We did pine cone wars. is amazing. Like, at night, we'd get all dressed in black, and you'd just find little pine cones, and you just throw <laughs> them at each other, you know? So things like that was... That was my childhood. Yeah,
1: I, you know what? I, I miss those days of innocence. We used to play on our front lawn, just dance around and pretend.
0: Yeah. You know what it was? Right there. You just said it. You had to pretend. Yeah. Because you couldn't watch it on YouTube or you couldn't, it, the video games weren't real, right? It was literally your childhood and the fun that you had as a child was all in your imagination. And that was a really cool thing.
1: What wasn't in your imagination though was a very stable home life. Uh, what was your dad like? What was your mom like? Yeah.
0: I mean, those are my two favorite people. So my dad uh, worked for Microsoft at the time, and uh, he was the president of Little League, coached all my teams. We, I mean, we literally played catch every single day. He's my favorite person. I mean, I mean, for the most part, I think it's it's normal to say that if you're a son, you want to grow up and make your dad proud. Sure. Right? In a, in a normal, quote, normal family. Uh, my mom volunteered at the school. Everybody loved her. I, 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 had a, I didn't have a reading disability. I'm, I'm not going to go that far. Uh, but I, I my reading comprehension really bad and so my mom helped start this reading program and it made reading uh, like visual and so you know my mom kind of subtly taught me that you can be different and it's cool like the 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 reason's why you're different if you struggle in one area don't worry about it because you're going to be good in this other area that that we need you to be good in and so uh, you know, i i love both my parents wow
1: she sounded like an amazing woman yeah. uh, yes our listeners just heard me say past tense tell me what happened on August second of nineteen
0: ninety two. Ninety two. Yeah, so I was across the street playing with friends and we had a we had a bell on our on like an old school bell on our patio. And when the bell rang, that means it's time to come home because he didn't have cell phones and pagers. Right. So the, the, the bell rang and I went home. And my dad and I hung out that night and I didn't really think anything of it. Um, obviously looking back, maybe, but uh, my mom wasn't home, which was kinda rare, but I said, Hey, where's mom? Oh, she's out, you know, for a walk with some friends. Okay, no problem. So my dad and I hung out, I went to bed. I woke up the next morning to get ready for a baseball camp and my mom wasn't home. And so I said, Hey, where's mom? Oh, she went swimming at the club with her friend. I, okay. Later guys, I'm out. So when I went to baseball camp, uh, my dad then turned himself in. So that night he murdered my mom before I came home and he used a bench grinder and a sledgehammer. And it was really bad. And so when I came home, he kept me from it. I went to bed uh, he cleaned the garage and did whatever he, he repainted and did whatever he had to do.
1: Totally unbeknownst to you. I had no clue. And you were the only child in the house.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My sister was out of town. My brother was out of town. And then he got me out of the house and then uh, he turned himself into the King County Sheriff the next day.
1: How does a 12 year old wrap their minds around hearing your mom is dead, first of all, but murdered by your own father?
0: You know, you're, you're, you're young enough that you're a kid but you're not young enough that you don't remember and that you don't understand the magnitude of the situation. And so I was 12 years old and I remember I, I got picked up early from the baseball camp because there was an accident. Right. And my friend's parents came and got me.
1: That's what they told you. That's what they told me. Yeah.
0: And now in my mind, it's my dad probably broke his ribs playing soccer. That, that's really what I thought. So we went to the police station and when they told me the news. Um, you, you don't believe it. Right. I mean, you're just, you're, you're trying to grab like what's going on and, and keep in mind, I wasn't really exposed to that world as a kid yet. Like I didn't know what murder was. I didn't know what death was, you know? And so, um, I couldn't tell you if I was there five minutes or if I was there all day, you know, I remember crying. Uh, and, and what I was told is that they got in an argument. My mom got pushed and she fell and that she's no longer with us. So at that moment, it doesn't dawn on you that your dad killed your mom and, and you're kind of sheltering you from information. And so in my mind, okay, my, my mom's gone, but, dad's going to be coming home and I, I don't know, I guess we're going to figure this out. Like what's this life going to be like, but y- you don't hear the news yet that your, your dad killed your mom and it's, it's you lost both parents.
1: You attended the trial and you're still 12 by the way, correct? Yeah. yeah. Um, at which your dad claimed self-defense. Um, that did not hold up obviously, but you write about how you kept saying to yourself, if I had just come home earlier, yeah, mom would be alive.
0: You know, there, there's there's, there's a guilt. You know, had I come home earlier, maybe none of this would have happened. And then I remember going through a phase, you know, later on in life where it was like, God, if I had come home earlier, would he have killed me too? You know, I guess it depends when I would have come home. And then I, you have to come to terms and you have to find peace within yourself and just realize that life happens. And it's, it's sometimes it's not your fault and it just happens.
1: Yeah. Well, but uh, it took a long time for you to reach that, but uh, the jury did not buy his story. He was found guilty. He was sentenced to 11, 12 years.
0: So he was sentenced. So in in the state of Washington, second degree murder uh, had a max penalty of 13 years. And so he was sentenced to 13 and I, I believe he served 11 with good time.
1: After finishing out that school year, I'm sure you were still in total shock. Uh, you then moved to your aunt's in Garden Grove, California. Which came first? Um, stability or just were you a zombie at that point saying, where's my mom? Because I, the points that were so poignant to me were that you walked into the trial room, mm-hmm. you walked in and you thought your mom was actually going to be there and you said to your aunt, where's mom?
0: Yeah, and it was one of those moments where uh, I literally looked at my aunt and said hey where's mom is she coming we, we, like we can't go in until mom gets here And I so believed it and I remember the look on her face And I remember snapping out of it and I remember just like my hands started sweating And mm-hmm. I just it was the moment of like how stupid could I have sounded? but th- There was there was over a year where I woke yeah. up every single day thinking it was a nightmare and I'm gonna wake up and it's all gonna be good and
1: yeah, and, and then you move, as if that doesn't upend your life even more, to Garden Grove, California, because that's where your aunt was living. And um, talk about which came first at that point, football or magic?
0: So magic, right? So uh, I, I see this kid named Michael Groves. He's 16 years old, does a magic trick. I loved it. Now, the reality is I didn't see Jimi Hendrix or Stevie Ray Vaughan or Eric Clapton. I didn't see these, <laughs> like, cool guitar players, you right, know? Right, right. It would be much cooler if I told you I could rip a guitar but I saw a magician and then Bill Malone went on TV. It was this guy named Bill Malone and he, he shuffled cards and told stories and I just thought it was so cool. And what ended up happening is if I sat down and shuffled cards, it was the only thing that the world quieted. It was the only thing that just everything just went away and I felt like I was just a kid in a moment of being a kid again, playing in my backyard, you know, building forts and just pretending about this world. Right. That was the only thing that brought me back to that, that place. And then I found 52 buddies in a deck of cards that never lie to me. And they always tell me when I'm wrong. So it's, it's my moment that I just sit there and, and think.
1: And there was a magic store nearby.
0: Yeah. So, uh, it, it, it's funny. My aunt who ended up raising me, my mom's sister, she took my sister and I in, uh, Her friend used to date this magician, so now here's my aunt making the awkward phone call to her friend to, hey, call your ex-boyfriend, right? (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I'm calling in a favor. Call your ex. What?
1: Get him over here. I need him to help my nephew. Yeah, believe it or not, we
0: need the magic guy. We need the magic guy. (laughs) And so, you know, she introduced us, and, and his name was Ken Sands, and he owns a store called Magic Galore More, and I would go there, and I was just enamored. And then little did I realize at the time he was going through his bouts of depression as well. And then years later we talked, he saved me. And then he said that at points I saved him. And so it was like this relationship of him, a teenager having,
1: saving an adult like yeah, that.
0: Like Amazing. he like had a father, he he became like this father figure. Right. And it's this mentor. Uh, and it changed. It changed my life.
1: But you talk about how you called him twenty times a day. Oh,
0: so bad. So yeah, back in the day we had voicemails. Like <laughs> yeah. you'd actually leave a message. So I was like, uh, "Fatal Attraction" when you leave like a hundred messages, and it's like, uh, yeah, I would leave like twenty messages, and I would keep calling him and calling him. How do you do them.
1: this one? How did you th-
0: do yeah, that? Yeah, or hey, well, hey, well, are you at the store? I I got to show you something. Are you at the store? Hey, hey, oh, hey, can I buy this? Hey, do you have that? Hey, I saw this trick. Do you know what it is? Hey, this guy told me about this. Can you order it for me? Just like, it didn't matter. Any excuse I had to call him. I did because I was just enamored by magic. But
1: I want our listeners to understand that concurrently with all of this practice, practice, practice with the ma- magic, you were playing baseball, football. Did I see hockey? Basketball. Basketball. Yeah. Basketball. Like, you know, my parents are Canadian. I love hockey. I'm always <laughs>
0: thinking hockey. I wish I played hockey, but I, I never did.
1: Basketball. Uh, but how did football sort of take the lead?
0: So now I, I, I go to high school. And uh, I was like the same size. Which high school? I went to Pacifica High School in Garden Grove. And I was kind of the same size then that I am now. So I kind of grew early. Everybody thought I was huge. And then I just stopped growing, right? So my freshman year, I was a big kid. My buddy Kevin Johansson said, hey, you want to play football? And I'm like, dude, football's for dorks. I like magic. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so, and I'll never forget. He goes, yeah, but you can hit that guy and not get in trouble. I said, wait a minute. Whoa. I can hit that guy and not get in trouble. And I didn't realize it, but like I had anger issues and and things that I were processed and, and resentment and bitterness. A- anger issues might be the wrong word, but it was more like um, just emotions from my childhood that I didn't really have an outlet, right? And so when I discovered football and I could run at you and hit you, it was just natural outlet of aggression that literally was amazing. So during the day, i put the pads on and go hit you, and then at night, I would go home, and I'd turn on Yanni track number nine, Felista, Stop. Yanni's Greatest Hits. Yanni. We only, had, we only had a few CDs, so it was either Yanni or John Cicada. I, I can't do cicada <laughs> on repeat, right? And so I would, the violin and the piano, and I would just sit there and shuffle for hours and hours. So at night, the world would quiet, and then at day, I could run around, be a gladiator, and hit you, and it was the perfect balance.
1: Uh, one is so delicate and requires slate of hand and finger work and eye work, and, and the other is... Smash mouth football. It's so great. Okay. You're a senior. You then go to college, a division.
0: Well, I went to a junior college.
1: Junior college. Okay. But you were playing, weren't you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I went to football, right? Played football at a junior college and I thought I was like the greatest player ever.
1: Give the name. People want to know these schools. uh, All
0: right. So I, I thought I was a great high school player and I had no offers.
1: But what? was your position? I was a line,
0: linebacker fullback. Fullback. Okay, yeah. that's what I read. Yeah. And uh, I go to a Golden West Junior College for the reason that they were 0-30. So they're in Huntington Beach, California. 0-30 means they haven't never they haven't won a game in three So years.
1: you'll look amazing by contrast.
0: If you can't play there, <laughs> hang it up, right? And so I go there, we lose 10 in a row. So now the school goes 0-40, which means they've lost 40 games in a row. Longest losing streak in college football history. Not a lot of kids are getting recruited out of an 0-40 school. And so I made a highlight tape. And so I, I took all my my stuff and I put my highlights together and it was good. Like I was a good player. It was good. Right. And I'm going to mail this to the colleges, but I was like, you know what? I don't really have any big hits. So my, my buddy, Nick Heinley, he was a linebacker. We rotated positions. I was number 47. He was number 48. This is before the internet, before HD cameras, before there's like 50 cameras. We had like two,
1: right? Before you, you could be outed. Is that true? <laughs> am I, am I going down the right uh, road here? I, I
0: borrowed a cup of, uh, a couple of Nick's highlights, a couple of his big hits. And I put them on my highlight tape <laughs> and I just said, what the heck. And then I had I had long snapped in high school, which means uh, I would look between my legs and snap the ball to the guy that kicks it to the kicker. Yep. And I had a few, you know, I I was okay, but I threw a, a, some of those on there. But we had a guy named Tim Thurman who was amazing, probably better than that I was ever in my career. So I just took a few of his, you know, more recent snaps and said that was me too. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> lo and behold, I sent a highlight tape, a lot of me, a couple of Nick's big hits, and then a couple of Tim snaps, and it, it literally looked like the greatest player ever, right? So my buddy that I had played high school with and juco with, he was at University of Texas El Paso, and he's like, "Hey, we need a long snapper, and they're going to give a full scholarship." And so that's why I put Tim's, you know, more recent footage. I knew I could do it, and I was it just—it it doesn't but, matter. So I sent it out. But and, John,
1: University of Texas at El Paso—that's a serious football school. It
0: was big, yeah. I mean, it's Division One. So, so
1: did you set about practicing long snapping? That's yeah. a, that's a special teams type of position that requires great precision.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so what happens is I send the tape, yeah. I go in there for the interviews, pass everything. They give me a full scholarship and they're like, Hey, we need you a long snap for us. And I was like, this is perfect. And I'm thinking to myself, I better get real good at this real quick. Right. And I was, <laughs> I was good, but I wasn't great. Right. And so that's, that's when, when, when the skill hones in. Right. And so I, I had a few months there and I went home and I practiced and then I reported to training camp and I actually was the long snapper for UTEP for three years.
1: Fake it till you <laughs> make it. Hey. Although in this day and age, it, it does ring a little bit uh, like an echo of Lori Laughlin faking the kid yeah, on, but, but, the, uh, on the rowing machine. But,
0: but I could. But you know what the difference is? Is I, I did play. I did have great highlights. And I could snap. I just needed to get in the door. I needed an opportunity. So it wasn't a matter of me uh, completely faking it till I make it and I'll and figure it out. You, you I knew what I was out. doing. exactly. I just had to get seen and get an opportunity to show people I could do it.
1: But can I ask where that go-for-it attitude was coming from, from what wellspring? Because you were still probably dealing with the murder of your own mother and the loss of your dad to prison.
0: You know, my uh, in therapy, we, w- we went through a lot. It was like experience with therapy where you dive into it. And I remember there were certain moments in that therapy that were like milestones, where things clicked. And I realized that life is short. And, and I, I took it upon myself that I wanted to give my name, my last name, I wanted to bring joy and pride to my last name than what my dad had done. And so from that moment on, when I got out of the therapy and I moved, every team I was on, that was my family. And I wanted them to be able to count on me unlike I counted on my dad. And I wanted people to hear the last name Dornbos and that no matter what, they would say, I didn't care who we had a chance to get, it didn't matter. There's nobody else I would've wanted in that position at that moment other than John Dornbos. You
1: know, I have never heard it put like that but, what comes to mind is how the sins of the father uh, are are passed down to the son in many cases, and people in many situations cannot deal with it. Bernie Madoff's son committed suicide. Uh, you know they, they just cannot handle that. That is interesting. Was that an idea that maybe was formulated from your therapist in in Washington state? I remember you talked a lot about John,,
0: was yeah. It? I I I think so. I mean, it's hard to say because that that was the like the fundamental root of my core that I remember, and that's kind of what I what I wanted to I, I wanted to grow that, and I wanted to I wanted just to make the world proud of who my family was.
1: Well, you were doing great at University of Texas, and then the NFL scouts come. unbelievable. They come and they're watching you. Yeah, and. Unbelievably the West Coast kid who faked his long snapper tape gets recruited by the Buffalo Bills undrafted right I mean you were yeah. the first of just two that the team took that yep. were undrafted
0: yeah and and what's so this is what's really cool so when I'm a kid right I was a huge Seattle Mariners fan and every game I went to Right, I'd sit up in the nosebleeds. It was the day that Ken Griffey Jr. Jay Buhner was going to see me, obviously, and say, "Hey, kid, come on down here and play catch." Right, that was every day was that for me. So when I lost my parents, you know, whether it was my sixth grade teacher, his name was Mister Butts, which is a great <laughs> sixth grade teacher named Mister Butts, uh, or or whoever, they would take me to Mariners games, and we'd sit in the stands, and it was still the day, right, that Griffey and Buhner were going to call me. And then after the game, I would go to the players' parking lot and I'd watch those players drive away, mm-hmm. not necessarily for autographs, but that became a symb- uh, like symbolic to me. Like the, the walk of the player to the car and driving away was almost like driving to the life that I wanted, right? Trying to find something other than where I'm at. I was on the outside of the fence. I wanted to be on the inside of the fence for many, many different reasons and many, many different things. So I get picked up by the Buffalo Bills and people ask me, what's like your favorite memento from your career? And believe it or not, I have it saved and it's, it's if my house were to burn down, what's one thing that you would keep? I would grab probably this parking pass. And it was the first parking pass that I ever had. And it was the first time that I got to drive on the other side of that fence. And my favorite thing about my career is the parking pass against the St. Louis Rams in Buffalo.
1: And I want our listeners to know, you have a Super Bowl ring. Yeah, I do. And you'd leave yeah. that over the parking
0: pass. Okay, maybe I'd grab that uh- <laughs> and the parking pass. Okay, maybe I'd grab both. Uh,
1: yeah.
0: All right, because so, the because the ring will buy me a new house, right? right
1: well, <laughs> yeah, don't get hysterical here. Yeah, you need right? to you need to be smart. A <laughs> uh, couple of years later, you jump to the Tennessee Titans, for whom you played a year, and then the Holy Grail. If you're a Giants fan, the Devil incarnate. But the Holy Grail of football, you sign with the Philadelphia Eagles.
0: Yeah. And
1: Note, I didn't say the dreaded New England
0: Patriots. <laughs> yep, right. Wow, yeah.
1: the Eagles. And you ended up being the player who lasted the longest up until that point there? How many years?
0: Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because, you know, you get asked questions by media. Hey, wh- wh- hey, what's your goal of your career? My goal was to always be the oldest guy on the team. And I figured if I'm the oldest guy on the team, then guess what? That owner wanted me there, which means when it was all said and done, he would say, "You know what? There's nobody else I wanted except Orban Boss because he delivered, and then it would give me the most opportunities to have success." You know, a lot of people, hey, what's your what's your goal? I want to win a Super Bowl. Okay, well, if you win it your rookie year and then you never play again, is that is that your goal? My goal was to be the oldest guy kind of team and have the most chances for success. And yeah,
1: you know, John Elway took forever to win his Super Bowl, and, but he got it. Yeah, he got it. You know, You're right. You don't want to peak too early. Nah,
0: you can't peak too early. You
1: can't peak too yeah, early. Well, it,
0: you know, there's peaks and valleys. You got to make sure you peak at the right time. You know,
1: but okay. We'll get to the Super Bowl ring in a minute because you actually got it, even though you didn't play in the really Super cool. Bowl. We're going to explain that in just a moment. But I, I do want to ask again, at this point, I know I, because I lost my father 12 years ago, but I keep thinking to myself, I wish dad could see. Mm-hmm. Was that going on in your mind all the time? All the I wish time. mom could see. I wish mom could see.
0: All the time. And, and not only mom, but it might be hard for people to understand this. Had my life been normal, my dad, like had, had none of this happened, I would have had my mom and dad at games. But
1: to be clear, you did not have contact. No. Years and years and years, right?
0: Yeah. So, uh, my dad got sentenced to 13. He, he went to Walla Walla state penitentiary and then that was it. I, I didn't talk to him or didn't have a relationship with him.
1: After playing for a few more teams, you get the health scare of your life. Mm-hmm. As this is why I said, if, if you really get only thrown things that you can handle, you Dude, you got 40 hands.
0: Well, so, so put yourself in my shoes. So I'm, I'm 37 years old. Uh, I, just got, uh, I just broke the record or tied the record for the most consecutive games I've ever played as an Eagle. So I, I'm like Mr. Eagle, right? I'm going to be here forever. And the team says, we're going to trade you. And it was just kind of a shock, right? So, what, what? Now, here, here comes a defining moment that I learned when I was a young kid. Whether you agree or not is sometimes not the issue. It's coming to terms with what your reality is and then trying to find the positive in it. Because you can, you can moan and complain all you want, but the reality was the team was going to trade me. So guess what? Get on board, or, or you're going to be miserable and depressed. So I said, okay, what are my, what are my options? And they said, oh, the, the New Orleans Saints. And the first thought, and I kid you not, okay, Ellen DeGeneres is a Saints fan. Their uniforms are all black, which at 37 years old is quite slimming. <laughs> and they're going to play, <laughs> I, I, I swear to you, and they're going to play 13 games <laughs> indoors. right? So at my age, I've been in the Northeast cold weather. Now I can have a dome for 13 to 16 games. All right, let's do this.
1: But the Ellen DeG- Don't just throw Ellen to I really in did. Here. That's what I said. But explain why. Yeah, so
0: Ellen Ellen has been amazing in my career and I did America's Got Talent and uh, my my when I made the finals my card trick was my ballad and it was basically how magic saved my life with the theme of don't hate don't blame and forgive. And so she and her show saw it and said, "Hey, can you perform on our show?" And we just got along, right? Our, 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 not not just our brands, but our beliefs in being kind and trying to make this world a better place. And so she has me on all the time. We do stuff together. And I know that,
1: but at that point, when you went to the Saints, had you been on Ellen?
0: A bunch, yeah. Okay, yeah. so
1: I need to ask about your fellow players. Whether it was the Bills or or the the Eagles, did you sit there on the team plane and show them your card tricks? I mean, did you? Did you use them almost as audiences in the locker room at times?
0: It was the best icebreaker ever because now you're not just a long snapper. You know, like now you're actually, hold on, kid, you have a purpose. Come here, get over here. And so I would do tricks. And then all of a sudden I got invited to all these events. So now not only was I going to events as a professional athlete, which people that paid to go to these events thought was cool, they could talk to you, but now I could actually provide entertainment. So I was kind of like checking off two boxes. So I would get calls to do the most fun events ever. And like magic was the perfect thing to open, open the door to, to meet people. And, and for me, my style, I try and make it cool. You know, I try and bring a little bit of swag into the magic world because let's be honest, I, I think magicians are probably below like star Wars and star Trekians. And like, we are probably like the nerds of all nerds, you know? And so like to make magic cool and fun was, was cool too.
1: Well, I would think. And, uh, yet what you probably didn't realize was that you were creating a second career, which you ended up really needing.
0: Yeah. Needing and wanting. And, and, you know, the reality is every year I played, I thought I was going to get cut. And so in the off season, I would go perform and I try and figure my life out. And then all of a sudden April would come around, which is when the off season would start and I'd still be on a team and I'd be like, oh my gosh, like, okay, I'm going to go back and go to training camp and do this all over again. And then I'll probably get cut at the end of that season. And, and what I realized is that I had a great balance, you know, like when I was in, when it was football time, I was all football and I loved it. But then in the off season, I got away from it. And and I never put the pressure on myself that my, I'm gonna be identified as a football player. Mm-hmm. I never wanted that.
1: Well, you still were, you had this sort of, I know there's no such thing, but a two-legged st- stool with the magic and the football, and then one of the legs gets kicked out from under you. Yeah. Football. Yeah, Because of your near-death experience.
0: So I, I got traded to, to New Orleans, mm-hmm. and what happens is when you get traded, you go through a physical, and basically the team makes sure is that their asset is healthy right before they purchase it and so I play in a game the doctors come I take a physical and they say hey something's not right with your heart it just doesn't sound right we're gonna take you downtown and get some tests and now I'm thinking this nay, no problem I'm 37 I just signed a three-year extension for more money than I've ever seen and now I'm in a new city where I have to reprove myself so I got like a new pep in my step life is great right I just been married two months married the love of my life it's like life is just too good to be true and so I, I go down and I take my tests I go back to the locker room, I'm getting ready for practice and they basically the phone rings and Hey John, uh, this is, you know, the, the cardiologist and the surgeon here at Louisiana hospital. I don't know how to tell you this, but you need to sit down. You're never playing football ever again. Um, you're going to come back down here for more tests. Mm-hmm. You have a serious heart condition and you're going to be an emergency open heart surgery probably within the next 48 hours. And I was, I'm sorry, what? And so now here's the moment, right? This is the moment. It's the moment where I, I think all of us relate, and it's, I, I write about this in my book, it's the moment where we become a victim, it's the moment where we get bitter, it's a moment where we get angry, because life isn't happening the way we planned it, right? And all of a sudden, you, you, you get resentful, and you're like, no, I've worked too hard for this, this is not how this is gonna end, this is not how I'm going out, and I did that. And then I took my helmet off, I put it in my locker, I literally saw my own eyes like starting to water up, and I started to get really mad. And at that moment, a dude named Drew Brees walked by, and he's the quarterback, and I saw the name Brees, B-R-E-E-S. And it was another moment in my life where I realized if I rewrite the narrative and I rewrite the story, then I'm gonna be okay. I just gotta tell my, the words that I'm about to tell myself are gonna dictate whether I stand up or whether I fall. And it took me back to Joe San Luquito. And uh, I signed in Philadelphia in 2006. And he came up to me and he said, hey, John, I read an article that your mom's best friend sang wind beneath my wings at her funeral. And her name was Leslie Moore, right? And it took me back. And I go, yeah, yeah. He goes, well, don't you get it? I was like, yeah, Bette Midler, 80s, great song, right? Wind Beneath My Wings. He goes, well, you're an eagle now. And the last (sighs) I heard, the song says, I can fly higher than an eagle because you're the wind beneath my wings. Hey, the city's rooting for you, kid. So if you're ever down and out, just spread your wings. Let the wind take you. And so now I'm sitting in the locker and I see the name Breeze. And I thought of Joe. And I thought of that story. And then I said, man, you don't have to be religious. You don't have to be spiritual, but like. From a story to tell myself, I was traded to New Orleans, the New Orleans saints. I was traded to New Orleans to have my life saved by a saint. And you know what? In the moment that literally I could have died, all I had to do is step out of the wind and catch a breeze. And there it was. Instead of stop and smell the roses, I had to step out of the wind and catch a breeze. And I realized if I play, I die. So you know what? I think I'd rather live. And then I didn't feel bitter and resentful. And it was just the way it was meant to be.
1: You have a quote in the book that says, a champion is someone who gets up even when he can't. Yeah. And you have done this over and over and over again, starting at the most tender time of a person's life as a 12-year-old, then at the, at the height of careers and all of this, and yet you still had this thread running through the fabric that didn't quite match the rest. And as you're dealing with, okay, I won't play football again, but I've got magic and I'm on Ellen, that thread is now sticking out even more and it's almost like a wire that's scratching at your skin and it goes back to your dad, mm-hmm. whom you still hadn't spoken to in how many years?
0: 26, 26 years. And you know, there's times that we'd go play Seattle and I knew it was up in the Washington area and I would look in the crowd and I'd be like, I wonder... I would recognize him like if I see him I would totally recognize him and like you're not seeking I wasn't seeking out to see him but I remember during the game I'd sit on the bench and just look around wondering God I wonder if he's here you know and and if he is I wonder how I would feel or what I would say or what would happen Um, but yeah so all those years went by and uh, I hadn't seen him or talked to him
1: and you're married to Annalise yeah and she's
0: she's a total rock star by the way she's so cool
1: she seems unbelievable And what you guys can't see is that he does not wear a wedding ring. He tattooed his wedding ring onto his ring finger.
0: Yeah. You know, talk uh,
1: about forever.
0: Yeah. So this is a really cool story. So uh, when I shuffle, believe it or not, I count. Right. And so if I put a ring on that little gap actually missed by an inch, missed by a mile. And so I've never worn jewelry my whole life.
1: John, I was trying to make it all romantic. Well,
0: hold on. No, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. But, but, that, but it's, I've never worn jewelry my entire life since I've started shuffling cards. So when I got married, I said, hey, babe, I love you. I don't ever want to wear a ring. Like, I don't, I don't wear a ring. And she's like, well, you're married now. And I'm like, well, how about this? I'll tattoo it. And she looks at me and she goes, can I tattoo mine? And I go, yeah, yeah, let's do it. So we went on our honeymoon to Bora Bora. And uh, cause it was never that I, I wasn't proud to be married. Right? It's just, I, I, I didn't know if like some women are like, no, you have to wear a ring. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll tattoo it and then I can never take it off. So we literally go to Bora Bora and we get this guy that doesn't speak English. The entire, uh, his entire left side of his body is tattooed, but his right sides not. And the guy's right handed. So he tattooed his own body and he couldn't do his left side. Right. So we were like, okay, this guy seems cool. doesn't really speak English. I mean, this screamed infection, right? (laughs) So like, I mean, it, it screamed not sanitary at all. And so we're in Bora Bora. We don't speak, you know, this guy speaks French and we're like, Hey, will you tattoo wedding? And like we kiss and hug, we got married. He's like, Oh yeah, yeah yeah. So we think, and we got the same thing. So she has the same thing. We think it means, uh, there's a, a dot with a wave, which means uh, it's the turtle, which is longevity of the sea, and the wave, which is longevity and wisdom. And then there's like these four corners of like a threaded basket, and that stands for the four corners of love in oh. like their their culture. So we think our ring means longevity, wisdom, love, and, and marriage.
1: And to this day, you have that. But as you were facing becoming a father, you just couldn't let go of the thoughts and the, I guess the, what would you call it? The frayed rope edge, instead of making a nice clean knot with your father who was now out of prison, you had any idea what he was doing? I mean, I know your sister didn't speak to him.
0: I had no clue. I hadn't talked to him. Hadn't seen him. Hadn't heard from him. Nothing. There was zero communication for 26 years.
1: You did something I know I could not have done. You decided to go see him
0: by far the most intense conversation meeting I've ever had in my entire life. And, um, I sat back and, and it was weeks before my wife was going to give birth to our first daughter. And now I was about to be a dad and I was really excited. And I thought to myself, I want to take the road less traveled. I want to do probably what most people wouldn't. And I'm going to find a, a whole different level of happiness and closure that I still don't have. And to do that, you got to walk the path. Right. And so Uh, I reached out, I got his contact information. I sent him an email that said, hey dad, I haven't talked to you in a long time. I have no expectations. I don't want anything from you. But if you want to sit and have lunch, let me know. And he hit me back and said, for sure, let's do this. And now this was a defining moment of what do I want to get out of this? What am I doing? And I treated it almost like a game plan. And I know that sounds kind of corny, but like I was an athlete my whole life. And I realized this, I needed to redefine what forgiveness meant to me. And I needed to, to be okay with that. And forgiveness to me wasn't about winning and losing. It wasn't about, I finally realized that by me forgiving my dad, it wasn't about me saying, I'm okay with what you did. I agree with what you did. It wasn't about me saying the score is even, it's settled. Let's just go live this merry life. It actually had nothing to do with him at all. It was about me coming to terms with my own reality. It was about me being okay with my my past. And it was about me reliving the relationship that we had and that we didn't have and everything that we missed out on, everything that could have been, all the anger, the resentment, the sadness, I wanted to relive everything moments before I became a dad because I wanted to remember what it felt like to not have him. I wanted to remember what it felt like to be betrayed by him so that when my daughter came out, I would look at her and say, you're never gonna look at me like I looked at my dad and you're gonna forever be able to sit and have lunch with your daddy and I'll always be here for you. And so. It was, a, it was the most powerful thing. I'd never said three words out loud in my entire life. I'd never said, I forgive you. I'd never said it. I've thought it, but I've never said it. And so after five and a half hours, and there were moments, right? There, And, and uh, I'm gonna take you guys back to this because this is super intense. Um, my therapist during the trial wanted my sister and I to see the autopsy photos. Super intense. And no, everybody thought he was crazy. And so during the trial, they made sure that the photos were angled in a way that nobody could see him but the jurors. So my therapist went and got a court order and we became the first minors to get a court order for a private viewing of an autopsy photo.
1: Why? Uh, and that really surprised me. It surprised yeah. a lot of other people. In fact, as I understand it, was it the judge or, or the Everybody. prosecutor? They all said, what the hell is yep. this? Why are we doing this? Why should a 12 year old and, and let me be graphic. Cause you were, would look at a picture of his mother with half her skull gone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we go down to the office and the prosecutor comes in, puts the folder on the table and she, she said, I I can't believe you're doing this to these kids. And she leaves and my therapist stood up and he goes, you know, what's funny. Everybody thinks I want you to see these. I really don't care, but why should it be anybody else's decision? But you, it's your life. This is your reality kid, whether you like it or not. So I'm going to leave this room and I'm not even going to ask you look at it or don't, but I just think it should be your choice. And then right before he left, I'll never forget this. He goes, but let me say something because this is really unpopular right now and nobody, nobody's gonna understand what I'm about to tell you. But this is the way the world works. There might be a day you wanna see your dad. Maybe you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s. Maybe he's in prison, maybe he's not. Maybe you have kids, maybe you don't. But if you decide that you wanna sit and have lunch with your dad, it'll be for other reasons other than you wanting to know what happened. Because that right there, kid, that's what happened.
1: You just changed my mind about this guy and the decision he made.
0: And so sure enough, he walks out and I looked and I closed it and that was that. And I, I kid you not, I'm flying to, to, to go see my dad.
1: But so there was no, she fell on the stairs no. issue. It was yeah. massively, horrifically was violent.
0: Really violent and I never had nightmares, but the only picture that I would every once in a while throughout my life see was the picture of my mom with bruises on her hand. And they said that was her protecting herself. So the, the really violent ones kinda just went away. Um, and so now I'm about to see my dad. And I'll be darned if I didn't think of my therapist. And I was there for other reasons than wanting to know what happened. But now here's, okay, so you tell yourself, so you psych yourself out, right? I'm gonna do this, it's not about, I don't need answers or validation, I don't need, a, I, I don't need anything from him, I'm not gonna ask him what happened, that's not why I'm here. But then you're in the moment. And you can't help it, curiosity, and you can't help but ask, dad, what happened? Why? You know, like what's and and he would deflect, which is fine, mm-hmm. but then I'd have to step back and say, you know what, I'm, I'm not here for that. I'm not here to debate him, I'm not here to, it, none of that matters. I'm here because I wanna be a better dad than what he was to me. And you gotta step out of your own ego. And you almost have to realize that sometimes you need to let go of the need to be right. Because the moment wasn't about right or wrong. It was about forgiveness, closure and having peace.
1: And you got that. Uh, there is a picture in the book of that lunch. And what struck me was your dad smiling, a very genuine smile. And you are not, you looked stunned.
0: Yeah. You know, my wife, she saw that picture and she goes, this is really creepy. And I go, what what do you mean? She goes, I've never seen you in a picture, not smiling. Never once. Like this is the first time I've ever seen you not smile. And, uh, I didn't really know what to do, you know? And, and, and at the time I didn't even know what the picture was for.
1: But had you smiled, it would almost be, it's okay, dad kind of thing. I'm glad you weren't smiling. Yeah, me too. That made me feel like, okay, this, this did serve its purpose. And now your daughter's born two weeks later. Congratulations. That's an amazing, amazing thing. And you have made that promise to her. You will be a better dad. Uh, my question is, who's playing you in the
0: movie? This oh, is man. a Hollywood wow. story the yeah. likes of
1: which I just have never heard and seen.
0: We're putting the feelers out. We're putting the feelers out. so uh, we shall see, you know, but it's funny because you don't live your life thinking that you're gonna watch it now as in the third person or that that it's gonna be recreated to tell a story. and mm-hmm. you know a lot of people ask me why why I wrote this book and you know like John, there's there's some really deep issues here and you're really vulnerable. why? Um, I guess, I felt like for whatever reason, life has thrown me a bunch of things and I'm happy. Like I'm really happy when people meet me, they're like, John, you're like one of the happiest dudes I've ever met. And so if I can tell my story, if I can tell you the things that I told myself, if I can tell you the narrative I told myself and just the things that I did to find happiness in all these stages of my life, then I I hope people read it and say, you know what? Maybe I can just let go of, of this bitterness. Maybe I can just forgive this. And for me, uh, I, I read a quote by Nelson Mandela and in a nutshell it was basically he went to prison and he told the inmates that if, if they don't hold our souls, we're free men. Nelson Mandela gets out of prison. And guess what? He became so bitter at the time lost that he didn't feel like he was in prison until he was out and free. Mm. But mentally the bitterness took him back. And he said, you got to let go of the things in the past cause it doesn't affect you anymore. And so sure enough, there were times in my life where just I had issues come up in my own head but my dad was subtly affecting my life, even though he wasn't in my life. It's time to let it go. Cause that's my decision. Happiness is a decision, not an emotion.
1: And you've proven that if your mom were here today and maybe she is, she can hear you. She She's can see here. you here in this podcast room at, at Fox and your beautiful book. And it's a great cover picture of you with the, with a deck of cards. What would she say?
0: Uh, wow. You know what? For me, I hope she'd sit in that chair, and, and this is going to sound so cheesy, but there's much deeper meaning in this. But I'm a I'm a Matthew McConaughey guy. That's If my easier. mom, if my mom looked at me and just went, "All right, all right, all right, all right, all right," <laughs> that to me would be like it's the head nod from a coach. That's all you need sometimes just a head nod. It's you know what, kid, you've done something really hard, and I respect the the doing of hard things. So for that, find happiness, kid.
1: John Doran Boss. The book is called life is magic but i would say you made it magic what a great unbelievable story i hope all of you guys out there read this book you know i know your time is super valuable because we're all hit with magazine covers and websites and social media get this book and read it because it it really made me stop and think okay stop complaining move forward let go. I can't promise, as a redhead who gets really <laughs> angry a lot of the time, that I, I will uh, forgive on a lot of l- levels. But I'm I'm so honored. The world needs a million of you, John. Oh, thank you. And I'm glad the one that's here is sitting with us,
0: Rockstar. Well, I'm 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 happy to be sitting next to you. And I hope people just remember that when you really find forgiveness and happiness, do it for yourself. Don't do it for anybody else. Just do it for yourself.
1: Thanks for joining us on Thank Everyone you. Talks to Liz.
0: Hey, life is magic, baby.
1: It sure is. And uh, listen, we, we always try and bring you a little magic every day, Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Fox Business Network. That it, Talk about cheesy. That's a cheesy segue I just <laughs> made. Because they say, Liz, don't forget, I always mention the show at the end. Not, not cool what I just did. But anyway, what an amazing story. And I, I, I am grateful to you guys for listening because I know these stories because I hear from you affect you and make you better people. We'll see you next time.